This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Uh, make sure you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to dive in really quick. We've got um, a lot to cover today, but I want to give a, um, I don't know, a caveat or something before I talk. I don't ever intend to come up here and go, how can I offend this whole congregation, right? Um, I, I, that is never my intention. Um, a matter of fact, when I know something from God's word is going to offend, I personally wrestle with it. How can I say it nicer? How can I do it in a way that's not going to uh, attack? I try to figure out a way to, to, to go into that. Um, and matter of fact, I've had to wrestle with the Lord multiple times because I really do love people and I love you guys. But the reality of Scripture is if you haven't been offended by the Word of God, you haven't read it rightly. Um, you haven't read it rightly. You haven't uh, submitted yourself to it. Um, and there is realities to Scripture that are going to confront us. Have you ever watched a movie where, um, where there's like a cop or FBI agent who goes undercover into like the mob or the mafia and they go undercover to try to capture uh, whatever kind of, you know, mob mafia, mob bosses, whatever. They try to go deep in. And as you're watching this movie, you start to question, is this guy still in the FBI? Is he still a cop? Or has he been brought into the mafia? Like, has he changed his allegiance somewhere along the way? And you start questioning that as it goes through. And you, there's so many examples of this as you um, kind of look at uh, those movies. Now, there's a, a word that's used, uh, and I don't need you to remember the word, but the meaning is really important. It's, it's syncretism. The word syncretism is the combining or the attempt to combine different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. They, they synchronize with one another. And that word really um, is prevalent for today. Because as the people of God throughout all of history, I, I want you to realize something about the people of God. In every culture, in every, and when I say every, I mean every. In every culture, in every time, in space, in every place, God has sent a people, and those people are called to be living in and amongst those cultures as salt and light as ambassadors, if you will, as a display people, meaning their role in the world is to be a display of the kingdom of God, that God sets amongst the nations a display people. Those people are to look like a glimpse of what it will be like when Christ returns and his kingdom rules and reigns, and all things are made new. 
Those people are to be a display. Matter of fact, those people throughout Scripture have been called exiles, aliens, foreigners. Those people were the ones who would seek the welfare, they would serve, they would love their city, but they would be a distinct people who were to display. This is true in times of Nero. This is true in times of Hitler. This is true in all times, in all nations, that God would send his people. The problem with the American church is somewhere along the way, we can't tell who our allegiance is to. We've been so absorbed into the American culture, so absorbed and synchronized with everything that happens around us that we can't tell the difference between our patriotism and being a part of the kingdom of God. How do you know if you've been absorbed? How do you know if you've lost your flavor? That you've been sent into America as exile as foreigners. That's why the church always relates better to the immigrant, the outsider, the alien. Because that's our identity. That's who we are. It's not those people, it's us. If I was to say something like, America is not the kingdom of God, America will fall and God's kingdom will reign. If that offends you, you've been absorbed. You've synchronized. If I was to say democracy is not the kingdom, you realize you will not vote in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a government of the people by the people. It's the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, Jesus reigns. Jesus is Lord. And if I was to say that being a part of the American culture in some way cripples us from understanding the kingdom. If that offends you, you've been absorbed. If I was to say to Republicans or Democrats, you're not the Christian party. This, if you can't tell the difference between your party and your Christianity, if you can't look at your party and see the gaping inconsistencies. You've lost your flavor. 
you're of no use to the kingdom. Scripture says that if you've been absorbed as salt and light into the world around you and you don't have a light, a city that's a display, a people that's put on display for all to see, if you are not salt and flavor of something different and you've been absorbed and you can't tell the difference between Republican and Christianity or Democrat and Christianity, if you can't tell the, that America is not the promised land, if you're a patriot and a nationalist, if you're all of these things and you cannot tell, maybe your allegiance has changed. You've synchronized. This is not to say in any way that we are to be a violent people. This is not to say that we are not supposed to seek the welfare of our city. And this is not to say that we are not to love our nation. But our love and our idolatry need to be distinctly separated. Because God loved us. And he didn't say, they're perfect. They do everything right. He said, they're deeply broken and sinful and far from me. And it is because of his great love that he humbled himself and came and served. That the shape of love is death to ourselves. And the model of Jesus is what love is. So when someone says something like, they're not this, they're not a nationalist, they're not, you know, America first, they're not all these things that we, they're not this, but they deeply love their country. Those are not oxymorons. I have growingly become disconnected with America. More and more I live in this country, I feel like I am not home. I have growingly become, I have growingly become more and more discouraged and at, at times overwhelmed. The thing that has discouraged me most has been that when that prayer and that desire and those anxieties are heard. There are so-called Christians who have so been synchronized that they think it's disloyal. I love this country. But I'm a part of the kingdom of God. And, 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 and we as his people don't have a place in this world to lay our heads and call home. And when we feel like the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but we don't have a place to lay our heads, we are actually 
in alignment with where the kingdom is because where we find home is in Christ and the only place in this world where I have found a place of sanity, if you will, homeness, is in Christ and with you crazy people. (laughs) That in this room is pieces and parts of family that have been an anchor and a place of home for me. So when we read a verse like 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I had to say all this to say this. Capitalism is not the kingdom of God. You'll read a text like this if you're absorbed, and you'll say, that sounds like communism. This sounds like socialism. And you're using your vantage point, what you've been absorbed into, and you're you're looking at God's kingdom and believing it's set up in capitalistic ways. Let's stand together. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 through 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness or equality, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and that there may be equality or fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want you to remember last week's sermon. And while I say this, I'm not going to re-preach it because Wayne preached literally the best sermon on generosity that I think I have ever heard. You need to go back and listen to the podcast. But he ended with this statement. If, it, if it's acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. I want you to remember this. God is not calling us to not... He's not calling us to be generous above what we have been given. When we see that God has placed among in our hands all that we need, we begin to understand a couple things. Everyone has different gifts, different economic places, different backgrounds, different race or culture. Equality, according to Scripture, does not mean sameness. It doesn't mean we're all the same. When we hear words like equality or fairness, often we think what's fair is we all make the same amount. Or we all get the same amount. Or we all have the same amount. And this is not even true to Scripture. Scripture says that God gives differing amounts to different people. 
Some one, some five, some ten, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some a hundredfold. That God gives each one differing amounts. Now, this is important for us to understand because if we see it that way and we realize that it all comes from God and it's not that he just pours out. So this is not socialism. This is not communism. This is not this idea of we just all get the same. Same treatment is not even a part of the family of God because it doesn't even make sense in the context of family. It would be a horrible misjudgment of me as a parent to treat all of my kids the same. Why? Because they're not the same. I have to know and love each one of them and see their distinct needs and the things that I have to address and the ways in which I have to care for them, the things I have to be careful of, how much they need to be fed, provision, gifts given, not given. It's a lot of seeing. I don't just go, hey, all of you treated the same. Sameness is not what is being discussed here. That there within this community are different people. And as a part of that community, what we have to begin to understand is that in economic beliefs, in governmental structures, that believe sameness is what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about, right? But it's also not capitalism. Capitalism is this idea that what ends up happening, if you work hard enough, you get the, you'll get... You could get rich. Now, in most economic structures, no matter how that is, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. When a person has wealth and prosperity, I know people don't like talking about these things, but they have more advantages to seek more wealth. The rich or those who are born with certain advantages have more opportunity to use their resources and wealth to seek ungodly gain. And they could use their wealth to gain more. In the kingdom of God, it's very clear that those who have been given are not to seek to increase the gap between rich and poor. But they are to use all that they've been given and see it as a blessing to bless. Those who have and have been received power must not use it to oppress and lift themselves up, the helpless, but they are to care for the helpless and care for those who are in need. Brothers and sisters who are in need. You see, there is a gap, a gigantic gap between the rich and the poor, between those who have and those who don't have. And there is no way to cross that gap, hear me on this, with any governmental structures. The only way that gap can be crossed is through the work of Christ and in his kingdom. See, the gap between those with excess and those with not enough can only be crossed 
through the power of Jesus, through his cross and the gospel. I was able to uh, talk with a brother yesterday. It's weird quoting a man sitting in the room, but John. We were talking about this text, asking him, Can give me some insight. He told me a story about the early church had a different relationship with those who were who had less, who, who God had given less resources. And that the rich or those who had excess saw their, um, saw their wealth not as something that made them better than everybody else, but an idol in which they would not want to be worshiping. So when they had it, they saw the responsibility of it and they wanted to be a blessing and they saw those who had less as having a greater advantage in the kingdom. Scripture talks about this. James talks about those who are poor closer to the kingdom. There's those who are poor in spirit closer, those who are poor. But we, in our context, see those who are poor as disadvantaged. The early church saw them as brothers and sisters who had an advantage and, turn the coin, who I could bless, who I could care for. And not like, hey, I get to care for you, but saying, hey, I get to give you this. I get to care for your needs. But when they would give it, they would ask, pray for me, that I don't fall into the trap of worshiping the money I've been given. Believing that their closeness to Christ gave them a, a louder voice in the kingdom to say, God, don't let my brothers get trapped in the idolatry of worshiping money. It was a symbiotic relationship, one in which they saw that they needed the poor and the poor saw that they needed the rich. It was a give Give relationship, not a give-take relationship. Do you see the poor that way? Or those with less, do you see yourself that way? The reality of what takes place in the kingdom, according to verse According to verse 13, which Paul is speaking to them, listen, I'm not saying that I want to put burdens on you and take it off them, but I am saying this, as a matter of equality, there's a massive gap, and in the kingdom of God, gaps get crossed through generosity. Generosity closes the gap between you and your brother. You want to know what happens in capitalism? The gap gets bigger. You still with me? Number two, verse 14, look at what it says. Your abundance at this present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that they may be fairness, that there may be fairness. Listen to what he says. Basically, I put it this way. We live off generosity. What do I mean by this? This is the idea of when you're coming into this world, my dad used to tell me this. I, I came to my dad and I told him, Dad, I'm running away. And he goes, go ahead, take all your clothes off. 
weird. No, take your clothes off, leave all your stuff. You came into my house naked, you're leaving my house naked. Right? When I came into this world, I was completely dependent upon the generosity of my family. And somewhere along the way, I started getting a little paycheck and started to believe I didn't need people's generosity anymore. I take care of myself. I earned this. I deserve this. This is my money. I worked hard for my money. I'm hustling. I'm getting things done. I'm busy. And what he's saying in this is this reality. No, 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 no. God's given it to you. You've, you came into the world dependent on generosity. And here's, here's the next step. At this present time, you have excess, but there will be a time where you will need them to take care of you. Here's, here's what he says to them. Just think of this. We're hitting a, 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 a cycle as a generation is being spit out of the machine of capitalism where there is an aging population who propagated and promoted, work hard, get your way, and finding themselves at the end of their life cycle once again dependent upon generosity. You realize that right now you think you may be taking care of yourself? You came into this world dependent on generosity, whether you realize it or not now, you are still dependent upon generosity. And at the end of your life, you will need people to take care of you. There is a system in which is set up where we don't realize we live on generosity. I realized quickly, my friends, that what made me a good businessman is not what makes me a good family man. I've ran businesses, been a part of businesses for a while. And when you're involved with the capital side, there's so many businessmen who lead massive companies who are horrible fathers, horrible mothers. Why? Because they try to take the principles of which they run in business and they try to bring it in their family. Uh, if I'm in a business, people go, man, you're such a good leader. When I sit down with somebody and say, look, the, money's, the, the numbers don't lie, right? Uh, you have uh, been a drain on our company for a, a long time. You are draining out the resources, right? Uh, you're not working hard enough. You're fired. But if I was to sit down with my newborn and say, you know what? The numbers don't lie. Uh, you've been a drain on the family for a few years now. You've ruined my partner and I's relationship. We can't sleep. You haven't paid rent in a long time. Every meal, you never bring anything to the table. You're fired. Right? You guys would go, 
That's a horrible father. <laughs> the list could go on. We're, we're living in commonplace where children are killed in droves because they're going to ruin our careers. We live in a world where the old and the aging are now a burden to our economy and no longer needed. But in the kingdom, it should be different. In the kingdom of God, when we see that we've been given different amounts as a family, when I look at my child, I, I, I don't want them to see that they all get the same, but I all do want them to see that they're all cared for and that their needs will be provided. I, as a family man, don't get a bonus and go, that's all for me. No, no, no. The reality of how we care for one another should be far more of a reflection. 1 Timothy chapter 6 instructs those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Riches come and go. But on God who richly supplies all things. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future that they may hold and that they may take hold of that which life is... Uh, that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and their thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. This echoes verse 16, echoes where we're, uh, verse 15, where it talks about them going out every day. You remember the people of Israel would go out every day and God would provide manna for them every day. Say, take what you need. Everybody didn't get the same amount. Some took less, some took more. Some had less appetite, some had more. Some had bigger families, some had more. Some could gather faster than others. So when they came back, they would share with one another so that everybody was taken care of. And the only thing that was wrong is if somebody tried to save some for tomorrow. It would rot. Why is my prayer life so bad? Why is the American church prayer life so bad? Why don't we pray in America? And in other nations, nowhere around the world, prayer is sweeping. Why don't we pray? Look at prayer. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, which is far more reminiscent of what the kingdom of God is like. When we get excess, we try to figure out how to build bigger barns to store up for ourselves treasures here on earth so that we don't have to depend on him tomorrow. I don't want
to depend on you. I don't want to pray tomorrow for bread. I did it today. And if I'm wise, I'll see all this excess and care more about my future so that I never have to live off people's generosity. I only care for myself. Now listen, this is not a bash on you saving money. But it is a bash on you not being generous in the sake of wide stewardship. You have to see that generosity is an act of faith. Faith is the most distorted, twisted, perverted word in the American church. The prosperity church has so destroyed the word faith, they've made it into something is unrecognizable. They say, faith is speaking positive things. Name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it. If you speak it, you shall receive it. That's not faith at all. Faith says, faith comes by not speaking. Faith comes by hearing. Shut your mouth. You'll learn faith. (laughs) Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And faith moves us to depend. The better word, I think, for faith for us to understand means You are dependent. You trust in him. Are you a man or a woman of faith? Are you fully dependent upon him every day as your source of provision and hope and life and joy? That you must run to him every day for provision. It's amazing that they've used the word faith to get more riches when faith makes us more impoverished in spirit. It makes us more dependent. It makes us more weak. The reality of generosity is a true act of faith. If I have embedded myself so deeply in the kingdom of God, we would be so united as a people, as a family, and we would be so... Here's another word we hate in America. Codependent on each other. We would be dependent upon each other, upon Christ and each other. We're independent. We're free. We don't need anybody. In the church, they're saying, no. Paul's saying, listen, someday you'll need them. Right now they need you. Someday you'll need them. If you've embedded your life so deeply into the kingdom of God, there is a sense of an insurance policy that nobody in this world could offer you. You don't understand this by just attending a church. This doesn't happen if you just sit in the service once in a while. You don't get this by just kind of going to church. That's another thing that really, like, listen, what we do here is great, and we need to gather and worship and sing and preach. That's all a part of what it means to be the people of God. But if we're really going to be a church, it means we are, as the early church, 
living lives where we are so dependent on Christ and we are dependent upon one another. And we see each other with different gifts and different backgrounds and different resources. We're sharing with one another. We're living that. You don't get that. Now listen, you don't get that by just attending a place. But I will say this. When I started to see what Scripture said, I realized why rich people walk away from the call to enter the kingdom. Because they didn't need people. Or at least they thought they didn't. There was a time in my life where I was going through massive struggles. After our, after our uh, massive changes, we, we want to be a church that reflects all nations, all people, all economic classes, all people worshiping Jesus together, a family. We started diving into it and really giving in life. And, and listen, there is imperfection in all of it. We're, we're just a, a, a contrast community. I know there's so much brokenness and things that God's working, but there has been times and moments where I've seen glimpses in this place of a people who have become dependent upon each other. I'm one of them. going through a hard time. Didn't know how my bills were going to be paid, and I was stressing out and yelling at the whole family. I know none of you ever do that, right? <laughs> stressing out. Where's this bill going to get paid? Where is this going to happen? I sat down. My wife goes, listen, we just need to pray. And as we were praying, the Lord reminded me of something. He didn't just show me that he would provide. He said, I want you to look at all the elders that you are living life with. Would they ever let you go without? I received such a peace from realizing I was rich, not because of how much I had in the bank, but I had people who would care for me, who would really help. As humbling as that would be, we struggle with being dependent. The worst thing for us is the thought of having to receive somebody else's generosity. But in the kingdom, we realize we are products of God's generosity and we are in a, a unity with one another where not only am I needed, but I need. The reason why Paul is continuing to press on this idea of generosity it's because generosity is an answer to Jesus' prayer for us to be a united people. Jesus did not see equality with God something to be grasped, but he came and emptied himself of all his riches that through his death and through him becoming poor, in him we would find what true riches are. Jesus, hear this, cares deeply about the unity of his family. It's prayer. And when all we care about is us and our bills and our finances and our pocketbook. We're driving the gap deeper between each other. But when somebody is willing to give generously, 
It shows. I'm not doing this because I care for you and I'm like your, I'm, I'm like some rich person who's just trying to do charity. I'm doing this because we're one. And if I care for you, I'm actually caring for myself. I'm, I'm actually a part of a family. Like, I, I don't want to see any part of the family hurt. And I know that as I care for Ezra, if I really care for him, not because of what he can do for me, there will be a day where he will see all that God's done through him and through me through Ezra, that Ezra will have to care for me. That's family. That's family. I'm going to need him. I need him now, and I'm going to need him then. But what's not going to change in our relationship as we swap places of need is value. I still deserve honor. Just because I'm not paying his bill doesn't mean I don't deserve honor. Respect and love and care. And as we live in this kind of community with one another, we're starting to see the body of Christ reflect what it looks like. And And I will tell you this. This family has real guards around it. Like if there's those who are part of who have lack and they hear of this, man, I want to be in that family because everybody's got to pay my bills. Kate, can you buy me a TV? Can you? That's a perversion that is needing to be protected against. The poor shouldn't be taken advantage of. The rich shouldn't be taken advantage of. This is not an opportunity for those who don't have a car to get a car. But when we're living vulnerable and in life with one another, somebody calls and says, hey, can I get some money? It's not just, oh, for sure. It's like, what are you buying? Is it a need or you just just want a TV, right? Is it a need? Because I'm all down to care for someone's needs, right? Because I will need my needs cared for and you care for me, pray for But let's talk about this. Let's confront idols. Let's walk through this together. This is not just about us having everybody have the same. This is about us being a family. And all of us seeing that we bring something to the table and we are in a give-give relationship. As we come to this table, we remember once something very powerful, and I went too long, but... You all still got to love me, right? We come to the table like this. I have nothing outside of what Christ has given me. If he did not give me his body and his blood, I have nothing. I am a, a, a sheer product of God's generosity. I have done nothing to deserve or earn or work for this kind of love. And all that God has given me is because of his generosity. And nothing I have is because of my works, lest I should boast. When I come to this table, I come starving. Realizing, why do I need to come here every week? Why do we do communion every week? Because do you just eat once a week? No, give me this day. I need this every day. As often as we get together, we need to remember how much we need Jesus. So when we come to the table, let's remember that. Let's also pray together. Let's sing and worship God and realize 
that in this room, we've all been given different gifts. We're all part of different backgrounds, different class, different places, different gender, different. We're all different, but we're one in Christ. So as we come to the table, let's come in need and let's come seeing what we've been given to bless others with. The tables are open, my friends. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.